0: Welcome to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast with co-hosts Jacob and Terry. Teen
1: Financial Freedom is a personal finance blog run by teens who are on a mission to equip their peers with the knowledge, resources, and understanding they need to become financially free for the rest of their lives. Hey guys, welcome to the fourth episode of our series on the top 10 favorite blog posts that we've written on the Teen Financial Freedom blog. Today, we are going to be discussing cryptocurrency. This is a topic that some people know a lot about and some people know nothing about. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I obviously am a part of this finance blog, so I know a little about cryptocurrency, but I don't know a whole ton. And so Terry comes from a different background and he knows a lot more about cryptocurrency than I do. And so we thought that it would be kind of a cool thing if we kind of interviewed Terry and asked him a couple different questions explaining crypto. So that way I can learn, but you guys can also learn alongside me if you're unfamiliar with crypto. So with that, Terry, do you want to give us just a brief description or definition of how you would describe crypto to someone who's never
0: heard of it before? I'll give my best shot. There's still people a thousand times smarter than me trying to figure out the best definition for this in the simplest way. But I would just describe it as it's a store of value, which essentially means it's just a currency or it's like a digital gold. It's a store of value that is completely digital. It completely decentralized, which means that there's like nothing physical that you can tie it to. It's not like a dollar bill that you can hold in your hands, but it's also completely decentralized, which means that no single person, company, government, or entity controls it. So it's just like we, the people, the people who have the software on their computers are the ones who collectively run Bitcoin, run crypto. And it was invented back in 2008 slash 2009 by a guy named Satoshi Nakamoto. And actually, we don't even know if he was a guy. We don't even know if he was a one person or a team of people or a girl. His identity is completely unknown. People He just went by the username Satoshi Nakamoto as he started designing and writing the crypto code, like the uh, blockchain Bitcoin code. And then he launched it about 12 years ago, I think it was, and just gathered some help. Gathered some people to help him run it, and since then it's just kind of grown on its own. One last note on Satoshi is that, like, I think it was in 2011, maybe I don't know if my dates right, but like, some point a couple of years ago, he just went radio silent. So he stayed for like the first three or four years and was helping develop the Bitcoin network and all the code behind it. So since then, we haven't really heard anything from him. He just disappeared. It's kind of bizarre, honestly, but that the under Bitcoin really, it's just it it's decentralized to run on its own.
1: Yeah. So isn't a Satoshi like if a penny is to a dollar, isn't like a Satoshi like a sub currency or, or a smaller aspect of a Bitcoin? Is that
0: right? Or am I completely off? That's exactly right. There's obviously the one Bitcoin, which everyone's heard of a Bitcoin. But if I'm not mistaken, a Satoshi is 100 millionth of a Bitcoin. Oh, wow. uh, So there's like 100 million Satoshis inside one Bitcoin. Okay, And I think it's how it's split up. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And so let's
1: talk a bit more about how it's decentralized. I mean, obviously, like the US dollar is created and sort of maintained by the US. But how exactly can this work if there's like nobody behind it? Like how, how can it even function as a currency?
0: That's, that's a good question. Um, so right now, I think I believe the Fed Controls our currency. So they're the one controlling how much is being printed and how frequently. And honestly, to be completely like, just to be honest, a lot of the US's currency is digital. it's so only a small fraction of it is actually physical dollars. Um, there's a lot behind the scenes that is just completely uh, digital. So, I mean, that helped me when I was learning about crypto is that Bitcoin and some of the other cryptos aren't as scary as it seems when you think about the fact that like we're already sort of in nearly a fully cashless society. Bitcoin, though, itself, some people look at it and say, like, it'll never succeed because it's like too expensive or too inefficient, in which they're looking at it as replacing the dollar itself, which wouldn't really make sense. It's not quite that's what it's designed for. It's more of a digital gold. There are other, other cryptos that have come out to be spent as like a day to day currency. Bitcoin itself is more of a long term store of value. It's like a, a digital gold. The way it can run, though, is that written in the code is that there will only ever exist 21 million Bitcoins. Never a single one more than that. And so that's kind of how it has value because the first question most people have is, well, if Bitcoin is just code and there's nothing physical tied to it, how on earth does it have value? Why will people pay money for it? And essentially it's because that there's only 21 million Bitcoins that will ever exist. And so it's a deflationary currency. It's basically the opposite of the US dollar, which you know kind of loses value over time. Bitcoin will gain value over time because there's less and less of them in circulation as time goes on. And it's just, um, this is the tricky part for me in crypto. How does it run? A lot of it is just in the code and there's people who are full-time crypto developers that would know a lot more about this and I ended up doing some research on my own to try to figure it out, but it is so complicated, it is very, very in-depth.
1: There's like miners that create these coins, right? And then mm-hmm. people who actually have to store them or like, is that an accurate description?
0: So. For example, if I sent you a half of Bitcoin right now, that would go, that would be broadcasted to the network. It would be written down as, as like a ledger. Um, so basically I would broadcast the fact that I'm sending Jacob half of a Bitcoin and it would be written down that I'm doing this. And my along with my transaction, a bunch of other ones would be included into a stack and what it's called a block. And so it's a, a block of transactions that get mined by miners. And miners essentially are just computers solving like a bunch of math problems really, really fast. It's almost like a gamble. It's like which computer can figure out the solution to the math problem first. And the first one that does gets to mine that block and basically add it to the blockchain. And the blockchain is just a chain of blocks. So it's a chain of previous transactions. And the first computer to mine the block and figure out the math problem gets to add that block to the blockchain and then they get a Bitcoin reward. When Bitcoin was first started, I think the reward is like 50 Bitcoins, which is insane, right? But then like every roughly four years, the reward gets cut in half. So today it's it's like 6.25 Bitcoins. So if I was running a Bitcoin miner and my my miner solved the problem first, you know, competing against millions of other computers, I would win 6.25 Bitcoins. And that's essentially how it works. That's why miners are incentivized to mine these transactions to use their computer hardware to do all this work because they're going to get some currency in return.
1: Gotcha. So eventually right now we're still in the process of discovering these Bitcoins, right? And I'm pretty sure the number is like 18 million have been discovered. Is that right? Around
0: that Yeah, something like 18 million. Okay.
1: And then eventually we're going to hit the mark where we're at 21 million. um, And then what happens then?
0: I believe here. So like once... It's estimated that in around the year 2140, we will probably mine the last Bitcoin. And so then the question becomes like, so what will the miners do? And it's kind of like, I think there's two answers from my limited knowledge as a beginner in crypto. The first thing that would happen would be besides the Bitcoin reward that miners get for solving or adding a block to blockchain, they also get a small fee. So they can charge a fee. So if I sent you half a Bitcoin right now, there would also be a fee included in that. So I would probably end up paying like, I get to set the fee, but like I could pay like $3 to send you half a Bitcoin. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the miners get that fee. So they kind of get paid through a fee for mining these transactions as well as a regular Bitcoin. But also to be completely honest, Bitcoin itself isn't likely going to be the be all end all of the crypto space. Um, it, was very, it was the very, very first uh, project that was ever started. And while it, was, it got a lot of things right. It's also not nearly as efficient as other ones that exist out there in the future. And we're talking like way in the future, probably won't end up being the crypto that stays on top in the future. Um, it'll probably get outclassed by other cryptos, mm-hmm. um, but that's just really, really far down the line like way in the future. I don't know if I'll even live to see the day when you know, Bitcoin isn't the king anymore, but maybe, maybe I will. We'll see. So uh, It's all so uncertain.
1: With that said, I mean, would you recommend to someone that they invest in Bitcoin, even though it might not be the currency in the future, like way in the future? Like, Would you still invest someone or would you still advise someone to invest in Bitcoin right now? Or would you suggest like a different cryptocurrency?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Because I mentioned in a previous podcast episode that I bought my first Bitcoin at $6,000. And I think I approached it with the wrong mindset. I approached it looking for short-term gains and... I ended up taking my investments out of Bitcoin and putting into other currencies, which looking at it now when it's $40,000 is a little bit regretful. But I mean, I don't really regret investing in Bitcoin because I mean, I sold some at 12K and then I sold some at 18K. So the investment did fine, I didn't lose money. But I would say if you invest in Bitcoin, invest for the long term. So I'm managing, my dad has some funds that he's also wanted to put in crypto and I'm managing those for him and my plan is at some point when Bitcoin comes down. From this peak it's at, hopefully, I would hope for like 10K Bitcoin again, or even lower. My plan is to buy him some Bitcoin and just to hold that for like years. I likely wouldn't even sell sell it till it reached above 100,000, I think, would be when I would start selling a little bit of it, maybe even more than that. We'll see. To be honest, like the 40K kind of like shocked me. I was like, whoa, you know, know, that's been the last all time high was when it was at like 19 and then it went from 19 to 40. And just like jump there. And so it's not really out of the blue to, or not really out of question, I guess, to expect a 100K plus Bitcoin, which kind of blows your mind. But I'd say for the average person in our lifetime, Bitcoin is definitely still a great investment. Just invest for the long term.
1: Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, I know some people are saying like it could reach 300, 400,000. I mean, eventually some people are even saying, but like the end of this year or this decade or whatever. And I mean, it makes me really excited to be You know, living in a time when it's still only, you know, 30, 40,000. So I just started investing um, consistently into this month. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm hoping it's going to drop even more. Like you said, around 10,000, I'm going to dump a bunch of money in and then hopefully ride the wave for years to come. One other thought that I had is like, how does it work for like privacy concerns? I, I know mostly it's anonymous, right? Like people can't track you, but at the same time, Every transaction is tracked. So how does that work?
0: It kind of seems contradictory. Yeah. So basically, Bitcoin started off as like a very, very private coin because while every transaction is recorded on the blockchain and anyone can see any transaction, they don't know who did it. However, it has gotten to the point where the government, if they are really, really, really incentivized to figure out who made a certain transaction, they probably can, or at least they can play the waiting game. But basically, the gist of it is, Bitcoin is anonymous, but it's not as anonymous in private as other coins. There's other coins called Zcash and Monero who or that were created solely for the privacy thing. So if if you're actually like really really concerned about privacy and being completely untraceable, then Monero or Zcash would be a coin you use instead of Bitcoin. Um Bitcoin's more like the digital gold of the crypto space. So
1: then I mean obviously from the government's perspective Bitcoin can be a little bit concerning, or I mean, any of these cryptos, because if you start to work toward a cashless society that's only doing transactions anonymously over Bitcoin, then, you know, how is a government going to have revenue from taxes to be able to continue to function, you know? And so I think I saw some sort of news recently that they were trying to pass some sort of law that said that they can track Bitcoin transactions and like the names would be displayed to the government or whatever. I don't know the details of that, but is that true? Like, Is that a concern of the government?
0: I was reading a post actually just earlier this morning by Ray Dalio. He's another legendary investor, manages one of the world's largest hedge funds, and he wrote a post on Bitcoin, what his thoughts on it were. And I found it really balanced. And he said, honestly, one of the greatest threats Bitcoin is facing is its success. Because if it comes too successful, and the government doesn't like that, then they're going to do everything in their power to try to stop it. And while technically they wouldn't be able to shut it down, they probably could do a lot of harm to its growth. And at this point, I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm not sure. I don't think anyone is really too sure of how it's going to play out. There are some people in government right now who are pro-crypto, and they support it. But there's others who aren't, and they, they want more control. They want more um, KYC which is basically stands for know your customer. A lot of Bitcoin or crypto exchanges out there are required to have a form of identity. Uh, like Coinbase now, if you go to set up an account with them, they need your name, your address, I think the last four of your social and your date of birth. Um, so they're required by the government to have some information on people who sign up for accounts. I think if that government legislation you were talking about went through, basically what they would be required to do is track Using the information that they have when you sign up for a Coinbase account or something like that. They would be required to track like who you sent money to and where. And that's the gist of it. And so it'd basically take away some of the privacy of Bitcoin itself. But I don't know. We'll see. It'll be really interesting to see how it develops and how it plays out in the government and through different regulations and laws that are passed and even different coins that are created in the future to work around the things that develop.
1: For sure. So if someone wanted to get started investing today in crypto, what platform would you suggest? What would be the first step or series of steps that you would recommend
0: that they take? If you're over the age of 18, the easiest platform I think to get started with is probably Coinbase. It is super user friendly um they also have a a program called coinbase earn where you can watch like short one to two minute videos on different cryptos and they'll pay you in that crypto for free and so you can basically earn up to i think it's like 150 bucks in free crypto including some affiliate links if you get friends to sign up as for just watching a video and getting free crypto right now you could probably earn up to like 50 bucks of just like free completely free crypto so it's a fun way to like get a bunch of different cryptos learn about them and then you could even convert them for free into one that you prefer, like Bitcoin. So Coinbase is a really easy one to get started with. It's user friendly. I guess crypto maximalists, which are kind of like crypto purists in a sense, don't really like Coinbase for the fact that their fees are a little higher. You don't control, like you don't truly own the cryptos on the platform. So like, for example, not to go off into a rabbit trail, but there was an exchange called Mt. Gox a couple of years back. But in reality, if their security is good, it is fairly secure. I wouldn't really bet on Coinbase going under like that, but I wouldn't rule it out either because not a lot of people thought that would happen in Mt. Gox. So Coinbase is a great one to get started with for beginners, especially. But if you're under the age 18, your best chance would be to would probably be to either have a parent create a Coinbase account for you or to use an app like Binance or Abra. I actually haven't used Abra or Binance to turn my cash, like my US dollars into crypto. I usually buy my crypto on Coinbase and send it to a different wallet. But Binance, Abra, and Coinbase are three great places to get started to look into buying, uh, buying some crypto.
1: Cool. And are there any other thoughts or things that people need to know about crypto?
0: I guess I would just say, start small. Don't be overwhelmed. I've been studying the space. I've been kind of reading up on it and stuff for two or three years. And I still know only a fraction there is to know. Only totally aware of a fraction And the thing about Bitcoin and crypto is that as a user, you don't have to know how it all works because like me, I can use Bitcoin. I can invest in it. I can buy it. I can transfer around, send it to friends, but I don't have to know all the nitty gritty of how Bitcoin itself works. And you can dive into it, but it is complicated Like there's a lot of code and stuff that like I don't even understand. So it is overwhelming. Don't get overwhelmed. Start small. Take it slow. You can start with an app like Coinbase and get some free crypto just to play around with and figure out how this all works. I would say the one last thing I want to leave with you guys is just be extremely, extremely aware that there's so many horror stories here. With crypto, the whole reason people are so attracted to it is because that when you buy it and you hold the keys to a wallet, it is truly yours. No one can take it from you. So, For example, right now, the wallet or the crypto I'm holding is in a ledger. And I actually have it right here with me i'll show jacob on the zoom call you guys won't be able to see it through the podcast but the ledger wallet that i hold by crypto in is mine like no one can touch it no one can take that away from me basically when you set up a wallet you're going to get this like 12 to 24 word phrase and that's that's basically the keys to your wallet whoever controls that owns the crypto and that's what i'm just trying to emphasize is if you lose that you've lost your money if you send that to someone you don't know they can steal it. And essentially, the only thing to remember with with crypto is that when you're holding in a wallet and you're holding those keys, don't send that anyone online. Recently, Ledger, which is the physical wallet I use for my crypto, Ledger got hacked. And a bunch of of their users' information, like their names and physical addresses and emails got hacked. And so I started getting a bunch of spam emails saying, your Ledger is compromised, putting your 12 or 24 word keys or your, your phrase to update your ledger. And that's absolutely a scam. Don't fall for those things. Don't send your keys to anyone online. I honestly wouldn't even recommend sending it to people you know online. If it falls into the wrong hands whatsoever, you lose it. It's gone. So it's not a, That would be the only thing I would say. But if you use like an app like Coinbase, you don't have to worry about that.
1: Yeah, that was all very affirmative. So thank you for sharing. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Terry. Um, If you have more questions, feel free to head over to our blog and check out our contact page. We have a contact form on there and you could also email us. And then, you know, Terry or I or somebody else can respond to your email if you have any other questions about Coinbase. Or you could always just research it online as well. I hope you guys learned something from this. If you did, let us know. And with that, we'll catch you later.
0: Thank you for listening to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. We would greatly
1: appreciate it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone who needs it.